Support for this Guardian podcast comes from Squarespace, providing creative tools that help you bring your ideas to life. Squarespace offers free domain names, customizable designs, and 24-7 support. Go to squarespace.com and use the offer code GUARDIAN to get 10% off. Hello, this is Music Weekly. I'm Alexis Petridis. And I'm Kieran Yates. This week I'll be speaking to Mary Waterson about the music of her mother, Lal Waterson, and the stellar cast she's assembled to celebrate it. Plus music from Mike Skinner, James Blake and Matthew E. White in Singles Club. Praise be, Dorian Linsky joins us. How you doing? All right. Hello. Oh, hello. Hello. Lovely, lovely to see you. Um, what's been going on in the world of music this week? Metallica to play Glastonbury. Well, no, Metallica... Not to play Glastonbury. In a, in a rather needy way, have just gone, well, we've played all the other festivals. You know, if Glastonbury won us, we're here. Which suggests sort of Lars Ulrich sitting glumly by the phone. <laughs> and then it goes off and it's like, is it Evis? Oh no, it's about payment protection insurance. He puts it down, sort of, still waiting. And I mean, I basically don't care who headlines Glastonbury. I don't have a kind of objection to, to anyone because I've gone, there have been all the objections. It's like, oh, they're too old and boring, or they're too hip hop, or they're yeah. too whatever. And it's like, it's, you know, there's always other stuff to go and see. Yeah. It's always kind of interesting. Almost the more sort of, will this work? the more interesting it can be. It's, it's always that suggestion when the headliners of Glastonbury announced that, that basically you're corralled at gunpoint. You know, you're sort of kettled <laughs> into, into watching them. You know, you have no, there is no alternative. Everybody at Glastonbury must watch at gunpoint these headliners. And, you know, you know, there's all sorts of times I'm not going to see the headliners. No, it's just one of these sort of annual conversations where you're like, come on, guys, like, we've done this. Yeah. You know, you can go there and you can spend all your time seeing different things. And, you know, I mean, I don't like Metallica. No. I like about three songs. But, you know, lots of people do. Mm. Might that not be interesting? If hip-hop was a... Yeah, if, yeah, you know, if they've they've never chance on hip-hop and R&B, yeah. why not take a chance on metal? Yeah. You know, I think the idea of being open to new options is always good. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, if you don't like it, you can always, like... Uh, I can't remember what was the headliner he wasn't going to see, but the journalist Ian Harrison, mm. who uh, writes from Bojo one year, and it was, seemed to be like it was the big headliner. Paul McCartney. Paul McCartney. You're going to see Paul McCartney? No, I'm going to see CFAX Acid Crew. And, you know, so there is always something incredibly obscure and abstruse for you to go and see. Kieran, would you go and see Metallica? Uh, yeah, because uh, last year I caught a little bit of Rolling Stones, but I went to go and see Public Enemy. Um, but the best thing about seeing Rolling Stones was just, like, the crowd response. And really, mm. like, at Glastonbury, even if you're not, you know, completely well-versed with the discography of Metallica, you're there for, like, the experience. Yeah. And, you know, that's kind, of, that's kind of what it's there for, I'd love to it? see Metallica also, what they do for the kind of throwing Glastonbury a bone kind yeah. of... We've we've written a tune about the Stone Circle yeah. or something. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be like, they could just do Stonehenge, couldn't Stone. they? <laughs> um, what kind of metal band are they? Are they, like, piss bottles or...? Piss bottles. <laughs> I, I don't, I don't really know that's technically a term in metal. Piss bottle metal. What's piss bottle metal? Piss bottles. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Some of them seem all right, you know, in their the, the general personality. What is this comment? The general personalities? What are we, piss bottles? You know, like with new metal, you like. I'm all about They're not new metal. You like fill up, you know, like a bottle of piss and throw it in the crowd, you know? No, no, the crowd throw bottles of piss at bands. Yeah. Like, what, where is your notion of, uh, of heavy metal? Come on, just bands. <laughs> bands with urine. There was an amazing story that went about uh, playgrounds when I was a kid Yeah. about the Sex Pistols. Because nobody, the Sex Pistols were around and about. Right. But if you were six years old, as I was, you never knew about this. You didn't really know what the Sex Pistols did because they obviously banned from the radio, the banned from the telly, you never saw them. Done it. Mm. And so a rumour went around, um, you know, it didn't go quite, I heard other people say this, that what the Sex Pistols did that was so bad about them was they used to come on stage and sing we hate the queen because she's no use come on baby let's see some juice and then urinate on the audience <laughs> Peaches um, did an interview once where she was talking about uh, the long sting she did opening for Marilyn Manson No the audience saying, will have thrown bottles of piss at her that's Yeah but what, then she no, said that she was then like squatting and filling po- like bottles of piss Peaches. and throwing them she's a she does all feisty sorts of lady <laughs> She's not, you know. Oh, I thought it was a thing. I thought it was a thing. Okay. It's not a thing. No, right. they weren't. It would be amazing. But for saying that, that's how they throw Glastonbury a curveball. They come on, urinate into bottles, and pelt the crowd <laughs> relentlessly. This is the worst Glastonbury headline I've ever seen. <laughs> Awful. How was it? That Lars was... Ulrich threw piss at me. It was, it, was a, it was a fresh move for Glastonbury. I wish I'd got to see CFAX Acid Crew. <laughs> 
Um, oh, also in the news, Kanye West. Well, yes, because Kanye West uh, was ridiculed by Jimmy Kimmel, mm. who is he's the wrong Jimmy. Right. Fallon is the good Jimmy. Oh, right. And Kimmel is the wrong Jimmy on right. the late night talk show things. And it was a very kind of cheap shot at... There were many ways in which what Kanye said was kind of both inspiring and exciting and funny and all these kind of... And daft and all that. Well, and Zane Lowe interview. Oh, Zane Lowe interview. Wow. But then he basically had these kids reading out the exchange, sort of mimicking the exchange, making obviously making Kanye look foolish. Kanye then writes these tweets, which yeah, he's a succession of angry. Yeah. But then he says, "Oh, well, I was laughing as I," t-, but I don't know whether he was yeah. laughing. He didn't, lots of block, <laughs> lot caps, you know. Yeah. And then um, he gets invited onto the show and sort mm-hmm. of, you know, defend himself, and then goes off on another monologue, um, again about the leather jogging pants figure. Oh no, really? Um, and obviously there's more sort of mockery and discussion and so mm. forth. And Cord Jefferson at Gawker wrote uh, one of the, the best pieces that I've read recently about how race, thing, you know, that, that racism can give you a kind of um, a sort of neurosis when you're not sure whether it's there or not. Mm. It's kind of like it can't be proven. So it's not a question of like either people are being racist or they're not being racist. There's this huge sort of middle ground and that what Kanye was responding to was that. And without sort of exonerating him um, or saying what a wonderful man and, and, you know, what an eloquent monologue, he was just asking for sort of more empathy and thinking what it's actually like for... um, for a black man to be trying to enter the fashion world yep, and the feelings design, yeah. that he might be getting and how you might not be able to separate out genuine like, well, I'm sorry, these these trousers are not for us yeah. from, you know, a feeling that you are being viewed as an interloper. And it was just, I'm, I'm all for sort of more more empathy rather than less. Absolutely. And it actually made me, you know, change my point of view cool. on Kanye's recent sort of outbursts. I know this isn't the point, but the leather jogging pants... Are they shorts or are they? Are no, they... they're a th- they're a thing, but they're not used for. They're called jogging pants, but they're not they're not used for jogging. But so they're, they're kind of loose black so leather trousers. Hammer trousers, sort of thing. They're esque yes. Hammer-esque. and they they have taken off. <laughs> in... <laughs> Where? Where? <laughs> you see, look out! We've got a big glass window here, and as you can see, every single member of staff at the Guardian. When when will the uh, leather voluminous pants lunacy? Well, because no, initially I just thought it was the, obviously the most ridiculous thing mm. I'd heard. You know, because I just imagine these people running in black leather, <laughs> really hot having, and sweaty, having a hard time of it. This, you know, the very, a very ripe smelling London Marathon. <laughs> but um, <laughs> then it was pointed out to me that actually they do exist as a thing, and they did take off. Well, whatever, they, you're in certain circles. Mm. And that Kanye therefore felt justifiably aggrieved. It's like, well, I brought this to you earlier. <clears throat> and it just made me, I think it made me question that sometimes Kanye, that whole thing of like, he's, oh, he's kind of bright, but he says stupid things. And he's, he's sort of inspiring and then he's annoying and all of that. And that sort of complexity. And sometimes it's a little easy to slip into piss taking. Mm. Um, <laughs> and this was kind of a more sympathetic um, look at where he was coming from, and I just, I just thought how enduringly fascinating that yeah. I, find, I find Kenya that there's never a kind of even I can write a critical piece about him, and then a month later I'm kind of swinging back the other way, and I can't think of any other pop star that is so consistently sort of strange and challenging, and I honestly don't know what I think about him most of the time. Um, are, you, are, you, are you sort of still a fan of Kanye? Well, I think yeah. that uh, he's kind of generally aggrieved because his cool capital rises and falls quite consistently. Mm. So, you know, he'll do, you know, an incredible act, like he, when Dark Twisted Fantasy came out, you know, there was kind of quite a lot of critical acclaim and people were like, no, he's great, and he was gone back to these great production roots, blah, blah, blah. And then he kind of, yeah, will do a big rant or, you know, go out with Kim Kardashian. Mm. which you know won't put him in public favor and then there's debates about whether he's you know in on the joke or whatever mm. but with this fashion debate what's interesting about it is that it all, I, I think that he gets personally aggrieved because there's almost this idea that there's a fashion space that only certain black men are allowed to occupy mm. so asap rocky can wear a leather skirt or danny brown can wear you know leopard print um you know leggings and that's totally fine because they're totally cool and they totally get it but when kanye's cool capital is you know <clears throat> Um, down in the dumps he's not allowed to do these things because suddenly it becomes 
you know, kind of vulgar or symbolic really sort of naffness. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Really naff. So, so I, I do kind of understand why well, there's, there's nothing more like that. to win you over than basically seeing Jimmy Kimmel smirk because mm. he'd basically be interviewing the Boston bomber and you would <laughs> side with the Boston bomber. There's just something so kind of it sort of magnifies your own sort of piss taking instinct He's very smug, into isn't this he? awful kind of like reductive smugness mm. that instantly makes you think well at least this guy kind of you know he stands for something he's mm. passionate he's innovative you know he's sort of got this magical ability to uh, to turn your pos- position mm-hmm. on someone around um kieran you've been uh, watching an advert from america oh yeah the the snoop dog hot pocket al- advert that features kate upton who right. if you don't know is like a, a model kind right. of you know page three type model and a page three type model mm-hmm. sports Ad- illustrated yeah, but she classier. she got her she got her boobs out as well. I wouldn't know. I don't know. Don't, don't try to tell me that you don't know this. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I, I, I just don't know who she is. But... through the net. Um, <laughs> anyway, it's a re- it's a really really good advert, um, and it's kind of been on the internet quite a lot this week. And it features, I think, it's like four or five minutes, and it's been circulating on US TV, and it's to the tune of that Bismarcky track, um, "Let's Be Friends" or "Just Friends." Just a friend. Yeah. Just a friend. That's it. And it's very funny, and you should watch it. You see, because Snoop has just managed to do... He's got into a position where he could literally do, do anything, anything, no matter how stupid or embarrassing or offensive or whatever it might be. Yeah. And people are just like, it's just Snoop being hey, Snoop. good old Snoop. <laughs> yeah, it's no, like, I, the I, most, it's like know, it's Teflon. A reggae ad album. You know, it's like, yeah. not only is this a really bad album, you seem to be a bit of an idiot. <laughs> you know, listen, he's like the actions of an idiot making this record. And God, and you know, he, if, if, his, if his first album had come out in the era of oh. the social activism it's tumbler. Storm. Imagine, imagine the hashtag. Holy that, moly. Yeah. Oh, God. Um, but again, it's just kind of like, just Snoop being Snoop. There's yeah. a song about gang rape, but that's just, you know, it's like the fun kind. I mean, I'm not saying that people should sort of get outraged, but it just seems like there must be younger rappers now, what Kanye included, mm. who just look at him and it's just like, how is he getting away with this mm. all the time? And yet everything I do gets scrutinised. doesn't he? He's charming. That's what it is, I think. He he appears to be kind of charming and funny and da 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 da. But I think he's made himself. Like his festival int- performance was really charming. It was it was really funny. I thought and I thought he was kind of oh no. I was laughing a lot. Into a cartoon character. Yeah, I mean, there I is a, there is a laughing r- with him. There is a slightly dodgy race element here because a lot of well no he's very popular with. Oh yeah. With 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 white people, white folks, yeah. Um, and he's almost like he's like a cartoon of a rapper, and he's willing to be a cartoon yes, of a rapper, yes. or a cartoon and, of a Rastafarian, or a cartoon of a Rastafarian as well. Actually, yeah. And so there's something sort of that, that he's sort of sort of non-threatening and amusing, and it, I, that it, it kind of makes me a little uneasy with mm. just like the way that people who aren't into other kinds of hip hop will sort of go, oh, but Snoop, man, it's just yeah. about fun and, you know, weed and gin and juice and mm. dressing up as a raster and, you know, I can see, I can see kind of why it works, but he's, he's just in such a strange space, sort yeah. of remote from all other hip-hop laws of gravity, isn't he? I like how, how kind of seemingly in on his own self-parody he is, though. Like, mm. he seems like he's really in on the joke and then he can still hang out with people like Dre, who are kind of outwardly quite threatening and don't have that kind of cartoonish persona. And it's, t- and it's totally but accepted. And it's Dre's just, like isn't Dre just now kind of like, it's like surly headphones manufacturer? Yeah. I mean, he's not... <laughs> yeah, exactly, he's not funny, is he? Is he ever going to make any more music, Dre? I, mean, I suppose he doesn't have to. Well, no, he made, he's made, I think, about $53 million from his headphones. Jesus Christ. That's not going to get him back into the studio in a hurry, is it? No, it's, no it's, there's no real impetus there. But do you remember it? they actually tried to do, they, they're the first two singles from Retox, Detox, Detox mm. like a few years ago. Mm. Quite a big single, I Need a Doctor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it just went. I don't know, man, I'm not, I'm not waiting for it. When I interviewed I, it's him, not on I was my calendar. to talk about it. And then when I asked about Detox, they like chucked me out of the room. They threw you out, they actually bodily threw you out of the room. Yeah. Wow, that's amazing. That's incredible. Yeah. What were you supposed to just talk about? His headphones? Yeah. How much is this? How, <laughs> how dare you ask this musician if he's Very making a new record? <laughs> <laughs> Look, man, I don't, want to talk, I don't want to talk about the music. Yeah. I just want to talk about the headphones. It's not all about the, the music, music. <laughs> right? It's not all about the music, it's about headphones. <laughs> and that's all the news. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs>
Lal and Mike Waterson's 1971 album Bright Phoebus was famously a critical and commercial disaster on release, and yet it had a curious afterlife. Now it's acclaimed as one of the greatest and strangest records of the folk revival, despite the fact that it hasn't been officially available for years and years and years and years. This year, Lal Waterson's daughter, Mary, decided to celebrate her mum's musical legacy with a series of Bright Phoebus concerts and a collection of unreleased material, and she came in to tell me about it. Sleeping in my bed Strange thoughts are running through my head And I dreamed you were playing with my hair Fine, fine sparrow Fine, fine horse mine this year is turning into sort of a, a kind of something of a Lal Waterson jubilee. <laughs> um, how has it all come about? You're doing a tour based around uh, the album Bright Phoebus that she made with her brother Mike. There's a book uh, with a CD of unreleased material coming out. How did all this sort of come around? It was always my wish to uh, to share the artworks that we had in the house. I mean, growing up all all through my childhood mum was always painting or drawing or writing and this is something that people don't realise that she wasn't just a singer-songwriter, she was a complete artist and that she often illustrated things that she wrote about that she was inspired to write about and um, throughout the years at special concerts the family, um, the Waterson family have performed um, the song Bright Phoebus and I've, I've sang um, Fine Horseman but we've never actually the album's never actually been um, performed in its entirety It's a record that's got a very strange power about it You said before, actually I'm, I'm going to ask you about this you said before that you'd been sort of singing some of the songs with the family around the mm. kitchen table and they're mm. such uplifting songs mm. Uplifting is an, is, is an odd word I think, to use about that record. Well, I mean, obviously there are some heartbreaking songs on there and there's some very personal songs on there, but um, there's also things like um, Bright Phoebus, Magical Man, Rubber Band and Mm -hmm. Shady Lady. Mm -hmm. And before um, we came to to London to rehearse, we all, the family, sat round our Norma's kitchen table and uh, and we sang these songs and they are so joyous. You get into these songs and you're singing with your family and you come out and it's just a fantastic experience it's it's almost akin to, to being on the waltzes or you know you come out feeling right i'm ready for everything now <laughs> shady lady now's the time to get yourself some sun shady lady get yourself some sunshine while you can Take a chance on love, the weather's fine Don't stay in the shadow all the time The sunshine You've got quite an array of people performing That's right. at the concert Which is sort of, I think, testament to a record that isn't that widely available And, and kind of, you know, flopped fairly dramatically on release Yeah um, it's sort of continued afterlife. It seems testament to that. You've got people that aren't normally associated with folk music or folk rock performing. I knew that the love was always out there, but the love that's come back, it's incredible. And it has touched people uh, from all walks of life and all different genres. Mm. Um, lots of artists have been telling me how influential that album and its creators have been. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And also I think it's because these were the first songs that your mum first songs of her own that your mum put out, am I right? The, yeah. She just sung traditional material uh, before that, yeah. Yes, the family had sung um, traditional, purely traditional material, and um, after the Watersons um, retired, uh, our Norma went off to the West Indies, and uh, mum and Mike were missing singing and they started writing independently of each other and neither of them realised that each of them were writing and it got to the point where one of them said, what do you think to this? And then the other one said, well, what do you think to this? Uh-huh. And, the, and uh, on uh, Mike, Mike was a painter and decorator on his lunch breaks. He'd go around to my mum's and she'd say, what do you think to this? And, uh, and, and basically that's, that's just how it, how it came about. Mum always wrote poetry before she wrote songs mm-hmm. and uh, one of the earliest songs... Um, was actually about a chess game because my dad used to make and sell the uh, Lewis chess sets and and she got the idea of, of a song as a game of chess and that eventually um, developed into um, Black Horse which is on the 
recordings on mm-hmm. Teach Me To Be A Summer's Morning from the demo. You'll ride the black horse, I'll ride the white. Mine is the daytime, yours is the night. Call up the wind, love, give him your hand. You are the water, I am the sand. Pick up the earth, love, give him your name. You are the sunshine, I am wasn't, um hugely prolific in terms of actually putting material out. I mean, she made three solo albums. I think, well, not solo albums, she made Bright Phoebus and then the two that came out just before. That's right. She was a prolific writer, though. Really? Um, so is there a lot of stuff? There is an awful lot of stuff. And in the book, you will see um, you will see things that people have never seen before. Um, is there more to come? Well, <laughs> who knows? We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> Did you? I mean, did she used to sing around the house? Did you Absolutely. used to hear really? Oh yeah, and that's that's what's so lovely about these demo recordings is because they are literally like you're in the room with her. You know, you're in a front room. The walls are painted mustard yellow, and she's singing to you, and mm-hmm. it's a private audience. That's brilliant. That's amazing. How many tracks are there on the album? There are. Ooh, now you're asking. Fifteen. Fifteen. Okay. Yeah, and on there there are um, most of those. Most of the songs are from the Bright Phoebus demo recordings. Mm-hmm. And um, what's interesting is that when that album was written, there were some 23 songs written really? in the same period of time. Wow. And uh, people haven't heard those other songs. And they are all, it's not a duff one among them, they're all beautiful. They've all got the same poetic imagery. They've all got the same beautiful melodies. Uh, did, did she ever perform those uh, the, the Bright Phoebus songs live? Or did she? Never. The, the, the songs have never, <clears throat> ever been performed live. You see, when that album came out, you have to understand that people loved them for their traditional music. Mm. They'd released three uh, traditional albums that people went absolutely wild for. They were the folk Beatles. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, after a period of retirement, they came back with this. And it was their own compositions. It was completely different. It was way, way, way ahead of its time. Absolutely. And everybody said, why have you done this? Mm -hmm. We want a traditional record. What what have you done this for? God, that's really sad. It is. It's a and terrible it is, reception to get if you're such an original now, songwriter. now, yeah. given that those same people, ten years later, I was, were all saying, fabulous record, wow, this is, you know. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, Mum knew she'd done something. You know, she knew. She knew there were good songs, you know. Was it's, she bothered by the reception that it got? Um, well... I think they were disappointed. Both Mike and Mum were disappointed, but they shrugged it off. And really, when you're creating art like that, it's a moment in time, you express it, and then you move on. Mm-hmm. As I roved out one summer's morn I saw a scarecrow tied to a pole In the field of corn his coat was black and his head was bare And as the wind shook him The crows took him to the air Ah, but you'd lay me down and love me Ah, but you'd lay me down Jarvis Cocker and Richard Hall. Who is it, actually, let's, let's run through the people that are involved right. in these concerts because it is a fairly stellar list. Absolutely. Um, basically, it's friends and friends of friends. Um, Richard Hawley had met our Norma previously and he came to our Michael's funeral and that's where I met him. And, um, you know, he's such a lovely guy and he, mm. he was so... Um, that, you know, I could just really tell the love and respect that he had for the family. And so I, I asked him if he wanted to sing with us and, you know, yeah, you know, he was, he was really up for it. And he, I was looking for somebody um, with some weather in their voice to sing Scarecrow because filling our Michael's shoes, yeah. pff, it's a tall order, you know. Yeah. And, uh, and, and Richard said, well, how about my best mate, Jarvis? 
and uh, we sent him the song and, he, and Jarvis was, I've got to do this song, this is a fantastic song, which we're delighted about and, and it really is a testimony to the quality of those works that you get people like that that want to, to be involved. So Jarvis is doing Scarecrow, what's Richard singing? Richard is going to do Danny Rose, mm-hmm. which is perfect for it, isn't more he? Yeah, kind of, yeah, and yeah. Uh, he's going to be singing one of the demo songs, uh, Piper's Path. Mm-hmm. Obviously, uh, Richard Thompson was on the original album and uh, I'd contacted Richard, but he was already spoken for and he, mm. was, he was absolutely gutted not to be involved. But um, the Thompsons' family have, have, have a long history with our family and uh, I've performed with Cammy Thompson before and she's, she's going to come and sing with us in the show. Mm-hmm. And then um, John Smith, um, he's, he's involved too and he's uh, played with a lot of our number mm-hmm. and uh, Kate St John I met Kate St John when we did the Rogues Gallery uh, concert at um, Sydney Opera House and um, we got on great and I just uh, immediately thought of her for, for the musical director mm-hmm. we've got uh, Neil McCall who's fantastic Rory McFarlane and Martin Barker in the band and it, uh, obviously, I haven't even mentioned that we have Norman Waters yeah, and Martin Carthy, Eliza Carthy, my brother, and myself in the show. So it's a really exciting bunch of people. And Norma Norm and Martin, uh, Martin are, are on the original album as well, aren't they? Absolutely, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Norma sings Red Wine and she Promises. She does, Red she Wine Promises. She's doing that live. She is, yeah. She's also doing Song for Thursday. And uh, it, it's, it's just going to be beautiful. You were brought from the workhouse to live with us And named yourself dog on a very bad day And I strayed in my youth and lost my precious dog Whilst gazing through another I mean, there's something, I know it's an awful situation, this album isn't as widely available as it should, but there is something nice about having to dig it out. You know what I mean? It, you, mm. When you discover it, mm. especially you always appreciate anything you put effort into a bit more, but when you kind of discover it, it feels like, oh God, this is this amazing thing that I've mm. uncovered that no mm. one else really knows about. Um, is there any chance that it's going to become more widely available? Well, record company politics and ownership issues have kept the record out of print for many years, uh, but we're hopeful that these will be resolved and a remastered edition will see the light of day. What's your favourite song from the album? Oh, gosh. Do you know, one of the things about Mum when I says that her writing was ahead of her time, she, you know, with, um, she was writing about environmental issues, uh, with Never the Same and, and things like that, and, and there weren't many people doing that at that point in time when these songs were written Um, and of course I love all the chorusy ones you know Shady Lady you just lift the roof off when you start singing that it's great yeah well we'll we'll end by playing out with my favourite track from the album which is never the same thanks so much for coming in thank you shower of rain and if we live another day we'll never be the same again that was alexis talking to mary waterson the new album and book, Teach Me to Be a Summer's Morning, is out on October the 21st. I went to see the uh, Bright Phoebus concert mm. this week uh, yes. when we came to Brighton, and it was fantastic. It was a really, really... Where was it? In- it was at the Dome in Brighton. Oh, yeah. Um, and it was re- it was just really, really good. I'll tell you what, what's in the, the, the surviving kind of Waterson women, which is Mary and her auntie Norma and Eliza Carthy, sort of really going for it on stage together it's 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 kind of an all I mean it's an awesome wow. sound because yeah. their voices are all they just they're just like something elemental about their voices like cold weather it just gets in your bones and hearing them and just you know it it was a sort of very moving amazing concert you know the, 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 uh, 
Yeah, it was it was just brilliant, and Richard Hawley was also just completely superb. He he. Uh... So yeah, I hope they do it again, and if they do it again, go and see it because it's it's um it's some pretty obscure music, but I mean it's 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 some it's one of my favourite albums of all time. Anyway, let us move on to Singles Club, and let us begin guests first. Dorian's choice. <laughs> Don't you worry too long Every time I land in London, land a blinking all on my mind I plan to plane it back after playing a pack show in due time I'm roundabout, I bought a round of English ale for my pals The bouts are sold and out to brothers, weird to me for like 200 pounds I think my English getting real, real bad Cause it's dumb bitch and I'm real, real bad No speakers are dumb, but I'm real, real good Sounds getting mic, but I still feel bad I'm a chill feel so that's James Blake featuring Chance the Rapper. Um, life round here. Dorian, you brought it in. Tell us about it. Well, to be honest, I'm not entirely convinced that the combination works oh. on this. I find it slightly awkward. But I, I do think that James Blake and Chance the Rapper are two of the most interesting people around at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw James Blake at Shepherd's Bridge Empire recently. And how was it that? Was it good? It's brilliant. And it just struck me how odd it was you know he's got a kind of piano him and a piano doing case of you by Joni Mitchell mm-hmm. and then he's got stuff that sounds like you know just sort of like banging techno there's sort of gospel there's dubstep there's all of these kind of these different things you know he's admired by you know, Joni Mitchell Daft Punk Kanye West all kinds of people yeah. and I thought you know he's come from being, being just very a kind of almost you know a weird anomaly and you're like where's this gonna go I think into just this this completely standalone singer songwriter. I think it's really interesting in that I have started to see over the last sort of I was thinking this because I was listening to Quez album, um, which have made the the video about this week. Um, my sort of album week, and I think actually there's this sort of area that's that's opened up for people that are sort of. They're singer-songwriters, but mm. they're totally not singer-songwriters in the accepted <clears throat> sense of being singer-songwriters. And James Blake is sort of at the forefront of that. Um, Quez, it's, cause it, you know, you wouldn't, on one level, that's not what you would call a singer-songwriter album, the Quez album, in that it's not a guy with an acoustic guitar or a piano doing mm. kind of soul-bearing, whatever. Well, Julia Holter is another good example yeah. of that, I think, in the, who we've had in Singles Club before, where, again, it, it doesn't fit what you think of as the standard singer-songwriter genre. It's just a modern, sort of modern take on it, which is actually sort of really refreshing. There's no reason why, because you're a singer-songwriter, you shouldn't be using kind of interesting musical textures. No, and, and, he, you know. and he, he sort of created a space where he can do all kinds of things. Yeah. So Life Around Here, the, the, you know, the original, but you can obviously hear the riff here. You know, that opening riff reminds me of Writing on the Wall by Destiny's Child. Mm-hmm. It's a very kind of like Rodney Jerkin style. Yeah. Um, arpeggio there. And um, Chance the Rapper is, is my favourite hip-hop album of the year. Um, okay. Because... More than Snoop Dogg's reggae album. More than Snoop <laughs> In hip hop, well, that's my favorite reggae. Of course, album. of course, of course. My favorite roots, roots, roots reggae, reggae album. album. Yeah. Um, but this is my favorite hip hop album. Um, it's just, it's sort of, got, you know, it's a bit Kendrick Lamar and a bit early Eminem and his flow, and a bit Far Side. And mm. there's this kind of this sort of playful, goofy. You know, he's only twenty, so I'm like nineteen when he was making this. Um, but mixed with a real kind of melancholy, which I suppose is your sort of post. You know, A to H, Drake yes, kind post, of allowing post, post, yeah. more. I mean, there was melancholy hip hop, but before that, but it seems to, you know this seems to be a, more of a sort of modern thing, which you get a lot on, on Kendrick. But it's not attached to being oh how awful it is to be a player. It's mm. it's how awful it is to have you know, like your best friend from school shot. Mm. Um, and it's which is a bit more. It's got a bit more heft to it. Yeah, it's it? incredibly. Yeah, you know, it's inc- I mean that track, uh, Pusher Man, Stroke Paranoid. I mean, it's inc- just incredibly moving. And then there's also kind of these really you know, goofy wordplay and stuff on it. And I just, my, one of my favourite things in music is a debut from a new MC because they've got so much to say. You're getting used to a new voice, mm. a new ear for the kind of beats they like. Um, they've got all this life experience and a persona that you're not familiar with. And they haven't yet been kind of like hooked up with this or that hit producer. Yeah. They haven't yet started rapping about being successful. You know, it's yeah. this brilliant sort of moment of purity. And it seemed like the pairing of these two 
was sort of much better on paper than it actually turns out to be. I think it's but, all right. You know, it's fine, but it's fine. But maybe because I love both of them, and it's you thought it was going to be. But there's a long tradition of that where it's like two of two bands you really love team mm. up. You're like, oh boy, oh boy, yeah, yeah, and yeah. it turns out to be a bit kind of meh, meh. You know, but I mean, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not it's the too super down on syndrome. It. It's the uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. But that's it. You know, but it just seems to represent at the moment two really, really interesting talents and the way that someone like James Blake can just sort of move quite naturally into hip hop, mm. which just says so much about where hip hop is at at the moment. Absolutely. You Absolutely. Know. No, I think that's, I think that's good. I think it's both good. Points. I thought it was a good track, um, Kieran. Yeah, I think it's a very good track. I think uh, what you're talking about is about James Blake's production lending itself very well to. Rapping, which we've obviously seen uh, with Grime MCs, the stuff he did with Trimble and the Harmonics series was really good um, and it worked really well. I totally agree with the kind of awkwardness of, of two of the sounds on on this because I do also think independently that they are they are really great at what they do. I think Acid Rap, the mis- the, the mixtape from Chance the Rapper, the, the one that's out this year was like, really great and it had, you know, people like Twister and Absol and Action Bronson on it who are you know some of the most exciting hip-hop acts of the year and this year has also been a really amazing year for hip-hop releases mm. you know kind of you know ASAP Danny Brown like this week um Drake obviously you know and they all kind of lend something completely different to the canon and chances chances yeah he has that kind of melancholia but he also has that quite upbeat party kind of frenetic crazy kind of letting loose kind of thing which which isn't really reflected so well in this track I don't think but it's quite nice because it feels like James Blake is really setting the pace um, so it's kind of quite steady and the video I don't know if the, video's the video brilliant. as well yeah it's really good you know it's uh, it's very much making the most of the kind of disparity between uh, yeah, yeah. Their yeah their exactly worlds. I think maybe the problem really with is that James Blake's voice is there's something so what's great about it is it's very sort of insular and it's very introspective and it sort of exists in a world of its yeah, own. Yeah. And so like on his album, when the RZA appears, it seems like a kind of an extrovert has strayed mm. into this sort of introvert's world. It's not yeah. it, it doesn't lend itself to kind of hooks. It's, it's just, also one of know. those voices that it's not really that transferable a voice. It's like Brian Ferry. He's got a very mannered vocal style. Mm. He's got. Mm. Um, and I agree about the introvert thing, but it's like Brian Ferry's voice. In that, you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's not a sort of... It's, it, there's something about a very mannered vocal like that. There's nothing wrong with a very no. mannered vocal like that, but there's something that it, 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 it exists in and of itself. Whereas Justin Vernon, who is a kind of friend and a yeah. fan of James mm. Blake, his voice, when it's treated, yeah. works brilliantly no, as a hook on a Kanye record. No, 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 totally, yeah. totally, um, totally. But there's just something about James Blake which is very... It's a real sort of like lean-in music. That's what I like about it. I like well, the fact that some people yeah. really hate James Blake. Yeah. Like They find his voice so off-putting. Um, and I, I think that's that. kind of great. It's it's Dude. because it's a genuinely unusual what he's doing, the choices he's made, the choices he makes in his music, the choices he makes in in, in how he how he sings and how he treats his vocals, are so kind of like willful. They're so single minded. Mm. He, he appears to have no kind of particular concept. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Mm. Which in a would world of very clearly defined, you know, yeah. to I mean, people who emerge in a, in a very kind of clearly defined way, um, and everything sort of in place mm. yeah because he sounds like he's always sounds has always sounded on this mm. um, and it, it's got that kind of feeling of when like a popular kid makes friends with the unpopular kid and mm. you know he's like in his room like you know making his like you know wet whispery like shrill <laughs> little songs and then like Chance the Rapper like comes in being like yo let's do something together it really you know it feels like that and hip hop at the moment I mean MCs are so open minded yeah. about yeah. the music they will embrace you know more so I think than than they're fans a lot of the time you know mm. some people quite annoyed that Kanye was working with you know Hudson Mohawk or whatever um, but there just seems to be this general spirit of like of tapping all kinds of, of British electronic music yeah all the weird kids all the weird getting, kids getting no I, can, you know. I completely agree I think that's a really is, is it a function do you think is it a, 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 a sort of the you know pop music of all kinds works on a process of action and reaction and I suspect it's a reaction to the kind of the, the, the kind of pop rave sound which was so sort of dominant you know sort of commercially dominant and it's clearly now starting to tail off you know that's sort of over mm. and that leaves a massive vacuum because if everybody was doing the same not everybody was doing the same thing but a lot of people were doing something you know a lot of big hip hop acts were doing a kind of Guetta style thing and when that's removed, it's, you know, nature abhors a vacuum and other stuff has gone. And you've got to come up with new ideas, you know. Well, it's yeah. the kind of 
I mean, I Drake. I'm not a huge Drake fan, but he I'm deserves some Drake sort of, fan. you know, credit. I'm, I'm not a fan. I don't find what he's rapping about particularly interesting. Um, but but his sort of him and his production mate. Oh, I can't remember his name. Um, you know, it's it's the sound as much as anything else. You know that that record with Rihanna, "Take Care," yeah. which sampled the Jamie XX Gil Scott Heron remix. That seemed like quite a a sort of benchmark track to me. That at first I was like, "Well, that's a bit bold," you know, taking this sort of obscure little, you know, XX remix. But then it it was a really big hit. Yeah, and now the just fact that samples on nothing nothing was the same just seems completely normal. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and they just introduced this sort of like, you know, this this sort of huge space for stuff that's melancholy and experimental Mm. um and you know i think drake's sort of what drake's done sonically is way more appealing and sort of admirable to me than anything his lyrics Mm -hmm. there you go um that's around about the internet uh james blake featuring chance the rapper life round here and as we said check out the video it's very good let us move on to kieran's choice Mike Skinner, uh, formerly of the streets. I assume it's the same Mike Skinner. It is. Um, no, there's no. It's called no K N O W. There's no. Um, Mike Skinner always strikes me as a guy who's been like a little bit of a lost figure. You know, he's, he's struck me as ever really ever since a grand don't come for free. Mm. Yeah. He sort of struggled to find his place in the world. It was almost like he'd done everything he needed to do on those first two Streets albums, you know what I mean? Which were kind of interestingly produced and brilliantly kind of inventive, you know, interesting uh, songwriter. Um, And I really like that, that track. I thought it didn't do what I was expecting it to do because it basically sort of turns into something that sounds like a kind of mid-90s British Deep House track. (laughs) It sounds like some of the High in a Basement compilation that came out on Heavenly around that time. Um, And I just think it's kind of an intriguing sort of choice. Kieran, you brought in. Tell us about it. Good. Yes. Well, this, to me, just sounds like a product of what Mike Skinner's been doing when he hasn't been recording albums um, with the streets or with the DOT, which is DJing. Uh, And I've seen his DJ sets, which have kind of... Which is... This is quite a good... Um, example of which has had lots of garage influences, lots of house, just kind of reflecting um, sounds that are played in clubs at the moment. Um, and I do, I think that he's got a really great ear for tempos that are popular at the moment. I think that the and that um, album that he did with Rob Harvey for the DOT had trap influences in there. There was lots of garage. There was you know big dubstep drops, and it, it really it did feel like he was um, taking note of things that you know things that were happening outside his um, MCing world or his garage world and and kind of using all of that. Uh, and that's why I really like this because it has those repitched vocals, it has elements of, like you say, Deep House and mm. those like really thick, like trilling piano lines. Uh, it sounds like um, DJ, DJs um, Elfino and Bondax, I don't know if, uh, how familiar you are with them, but they're really big on kind of NTS and boiler room sets and they do a lot of this kind of um, garage into house type uh, DJ mixes with stunted bass claps, and this is this is kind of the way in which um, the house temper is developing in clubs at the moment, kind of sounding a lot more sunny and, and kind of having those repitched vocals on top of things. Um, and it's just surprising; it just comes from Mike Skinner, isn't it? When I heard it, I was like, "Oh shit, yeah." That's yeah, good. it's not it's not what I was expecting. All Dorian. Yeah, I was no. pleasantly uh, no, I was pleasantly surprised because you know I did love the first two Streets records, and I was recently having a CD clear out and just sort of you know ripping the best tracks to my computer of various albums. And, you know, the second, sorry, the third and fourth Streets albums were really poor, Yeah, I thought. You know, worse than I remembered. Um, and then the fifth one a bit better. The D.O.T. album, I hated. No, I didn't I like it either. so horrible. I thought the vocals were just shocking. I mean, mostly not Mike Skinner's. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I just thought, I, you know, am I, am I just done with this guy? You know, there's people that can make brilliant records. And, of course, you get to a point where you're like, there's nothing here for me no absolutely um, yeah. and I think it's interesting that he's sort of working on the production and making that a bit more sophisticated and there were some good the DOT album would probably have been a pretty decent instrumental one mm-hmm. so 
you know, it's interesting that he's had this, he's gone through this whole arc, hasn't he? Of being, you know, a kind of Mercury-nominated number one single, mm. you know, kind of pop star. And then this sort of waning, but still being very critically respected, um, even when the albums were getting worse. Mm. And then with the DOT, he just seemed completely lost. I mean, he was they were touring to somebody, but it just didn't seem like it had made any impact. Though, isn't it? Because The Streets is one of those... Um, Dry Your Eyes by The Streets. That was like such a big record. That was mm. everywhere. You never hear it. When was the last time you heard that record? When you never hear it on the radio. You never hear it on Radio 2. You never hear it on... You know what I mean? On the kind of show... You never hear it at Six Music. You never hear yeah. it on those kinds of stuff. You never hear it as a sound bed. You don't even see it when someone gets knocked out of a football match. You know, when England get knocked out of something, they don't play that anymore. No, but there's, um, a, there's a whole period. There's a whole thing of the sort of mid-noughties of all these records which just can't... They sort of can't come back yet. No. You know, I predict a riot or whatever. It's like it's too soon. <laughs> it certainly um, is too soon for the I predict a riot revival. Right. I've, I've got, you know. You know, and there was something. And the Spice Girls. Very sort mm. of like, you know, I suppose. I mean, Dry Your Eyes is a good record, but it just seems very much like, you know, I suppose how Oasis felt yeah. 10 years ago, where it's like, I'm really not. Mm. Listening to this, I never need to hear <laughs> I this I never need again. to hear this yeah. again. Yeah, yeah. interesting. Um, and it's yeah, and it's and it's a great shame, you know, when you see a sort of talented artist that just basically isn't quite sure what to do, and he was never hedging his bets. I mean, Jesus Christ, that third record is abrasively horrible. Yeah, you know. Yes, and he flipped from being an immensely likable character to being just like okay. And then on the next one, he was this kind of like Rizzler philosopher, Wheel of Rizzler <laughs> philosopher, just like you know, what happens to us after we die? And, uh, is the Bible really true? Um, <laughs> And yeah, it's just such a strange process. And so I, I almost think the best thing for him to do now is to be working on the music side of it. Yeah. Sort of rather than the lyrics. He seems to have become a bit bored of being a lyricist. Yeah. It's entirely plausible that might happen. Mike Skinner's No There's No. Um, again, I, I might say this. I say this every It's a roundabout on the internet. Everything's a roundabout on the internet. Um, finally, let's have my choice. <laughs> Singles Club this week, that's Matthew E. White. Hot, hot, hot. Um, alas, not a cover of Arrow's Soaker Classic, which would be amazing. <laughs> which actually probably be more amazing than that record if he had done. <laughs> Feeling hot, hot, hot. I love Matthew E. White. It's one of those, his album came out in January. You know, it's the time of year when we start to think about albums of the year. Um, and stuff that came out in January, quite easy to forget. You know, it's just grubbing around for stuff to review. And that Matthew E. White album has has stayed with me. I've 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 kind of continued to really really enjoy it. I think it's just a a sort of brilliant, interesting, original. You know, stew well a stew of influences put together in a very original way. Um, this is a track from a new EP he's done, which I think is coming out as a sort of the deluxe edition of the album. We'll have this six track, six new tracks appended to it. And I really liked all six tracks. They're all available to stream online at the moment. I think Rolling Stone um, is streaming them, and they just seem to sort of develop his sound a bit. Um, without kind of being completely, you know, what's, what's he doing here? It is still kind of psychedelic soul in its own, you know, in its own way, with a bit of Harry Nielsen thrown in and da da da, and all this kind of, all that good stuff. Um, it's a really good song. There's something immensely likable about Matthew E. White, I think. The, you know, talking about the unlikability or likability of the personas people project on records. And there's something, I just find his music really likable. I find a song like Hot Toddies really kind of. This sort of shambling kind of bear-like man singing about getting a bit pissed in winter. It just—it's just you know. I, I just find it surprisingly likable as well because when I've heard his tracks, when as soon as he's on, there's just this really commanding growl, mm. which kind of fills fills the space that you're playing it in. Yeah. Um, and you know that's not the most palatable voice, but then once you kind of hear him, you're like, do you know what? Yeah, I, yeah, I like him. It there's works something... a lot better on. I have to say, it works a lot better on record than live because the frailties of his voice, I think, work really well on record because you right. sort of go, oh well, that kind of. 
and live it's it's a bit less kind of there's less orchestration there's mm. less production behind it and it's sort of a bit like oh it's gonna go on it's a bit, bit yeah, iffy it's a bit of a little singer um dorian i love the sound the sound is basically touches on most of my favorite things <laughs> i've never quite the album hasn't stuck with me oh. i must admit um i think largely because the songs don't dig in you know i suppose the singer songwriters that i'm you know, American singer-songwriters mm-hmm. I really liked over the last couple of years, John Grant and Father John Misty, you know, there's a real, there's a, kind of an acerbic wit. There's something that's always kind of pulling against the the lushness of the music. Mm. There's, there's just sort of, that it's kind of sleeping, you know, slipping the sort of, you know, razor blades in the toffee sure. apple kind of thing. Which I wouldn't recommend coming up to Halloween. <laughs> uh, but... <laughs> but with Matthew E. White, it's just it's so sort of comfy and enveloping that my initial reaction is just like, oh, this is this is lovely. This mm. is warm bath music. But I suppose the songs and the emotion don't they don't sink their hooks into me. Okay. So it's just pleasant. It's still probably like probably one of my top 20 albums of the year or whatever. But mm. um, there's, I just realized after a while that there was that one little, you know, sometimes like, I think I'm really drawn to music which just has a grain, something slightly sort of prickly <laughs> or problematic sure. or something that isn't just pleasurable. Yeah, a bit um, of grit in the oyster. A bit of grit in the oyster, exactly. And uh, whereas this I just find, I just find really, really nice. Mm. Which, you know, let's Lots face it, a lot, of, nice, yeah, but, you know, a lot of music out there doesn't, doesn't do oh, that. You know what I've been reviewing this week, the Katy Perry album. <laughs> Dear God. That's not that bad. Well, no, it's not, not, it's not awful. No, it's, it's not as awful. As, as a, fr- a friend said, her whole MO is grimly efficient. Yeah. Although the thing about it that's amazing is the way it's being um, presented in America is this is her spiritual album. <laughs> and obviously it's not. You know, and she's always on the cover, she's all dressed up in a sort of flowing gown with butterflies all around her and she hasn't got two rotating sweets on her knockers anymore. Um, I found it... Um, I, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, it's certainly... I'll tell you what I thought was interesting about it. Because I reviewed the Jesse J album. Mm. And, oh man, you re- it's basically the same people have kind of made the, written this record. Yeah. Whoa, do you get a hint of the pecking order of pop I there? I know, I know. Because they basically just fished stuff out of the bin for Jesse J. Yeah. <laughs> and these songs are grimly efficient. It's like they're, they're really... But, if, but the way that it's sort of constructed, if we're talking about personas, mm. which... Because I was writing something about Katy Perry recently, and, mm. and you know how you construct a persona for each album, and the narrative has to change. Mm. And it kind of like the first half is like Katy's still having fun. Yeah, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. I'm going to get you in your birthday suit, bringing mm. out the big balloons, yeah. Hong Kong, you know, all this kind of, all this kind of stuff. And there's like piano house, yeah. and there's all this kind of stuff. And then the second half of the album is just like also. I have been divorced. Yeah. Also, and Russell then Brand be- dumped me dumped by me. text. Yeah. Yeah. And then it becomes like. This real kind of, it's sort of like I will survive power ballads. Yeah. Um, and it's just such a strange transition because it's like, I I'm still fun, Katie, that you know and love. Mm. But also, you know, I am like, I am woman and I will, yeah. I will prevail. And it's, uh, it's a very odd gear shift. There's a lot of, uh, lyrically, I noticed, there's a lot of, I'm having loads of amazing sex with my new boyfriend. I know there's, 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 oh, yes, of, yes, there's yes, a yes, lot of, I mean, John Mayer, God almighty, we're at it nonstop, you know. Um, but anyway, no, I just, I, you, we talk about music. It, it, there's something I find a bit grating, you know, about mm. the experience of, uh, of, of listening to uh, Katy Perry's music. Um, that's Matthew White Hot 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 um, that's out on the deluxe edition of his album you can hear it you can stream it on SoundCloud now that's Singles Club ok that's it for this week thank you to Dorian Linsky um, visit guardian.co.uk forward slash music weekly for more info on the show and links to the Singles Club tracks Kieran and I we're back next week bye 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 Support for this Guardian podcast comes from Squarespace, providing creative tools that help you bring your ideas to life. Squarespace offers free domain names, customizable designs, drag-and-drop tools, and 24-7 support. Squarespace also offers seamless e-commerce solutions for you or your small business. Every design automatically includes a unique mobile experience that matches the overall style of your website, so your content will look brilliant on any device. Start your free trial today, no credit card required. As a Guardian podcast listener, you'll get 10% off your new account by using the offer code GUARDIAN.